0: This morning, pretty early this morning, and uh, when my wife gets up really early, and she says I got up really early this morning, and she gets up an hour and a half after me, that's me get up early. And I thought I say that because I'm like I'm 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 in great shape. And then I added some things to my message, which I think are very very important. I'll let you know some of my add-ons because I thought you know what I want this to be richer than it is. It's really rich, and it's a great rich ending for uh, what I want to talk about. But I wanted to end with a strong warning because the times in which we live in. Uh, You know, the Apostle Paul said, consider therefore the goodness and the severity of God. Amen. So praise God. There is the goodness. We are, I mean, come on, does it get any better that you're created in the image of God? Come on. I mean, you look around, you're very different than all the billions and billions and trillions of, of creatures that are all around you. Millions and millions and millions of different species. You've been made in God's image. Amen. And man was given dominion over the earth. That's an amazing thing. Yet, we blew it and God had uh, mercy on us, amen, instead of giving us just straight justice and wiping us out and forgave us. And then he didn't only do that, but he had a plan from before the foundation of the world, knowing that we'd fall, he would make us the, 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 the bride, metaphorically speaking, of his beloved son, amen? And we'd be with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, not deserving it. And that his love would be so immense that he'd pour out his blood on the cross, To pay for our sins. Yes, to show us his love, but actually to pay for our sins in showing us his love, but so we could be redeemed. And you got to pinch yourself, because just as the first prophecies of Christ's coming, there were so many of them, came to pass. The prophecies regarding His second coming, as sure as those prophecies came to pass, will come to pass as well. And here you are caught up in the wonder of his love, the purpose of his will, this divine cosmic romance. You are part of it. You're part of what the Bible calls this mega musterion. Paul calls it this great mystery. He says, I say this in reference to Christ and the church. And he's been talking about husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her and uh, our human marriages being a picture of that divine wedding. It's just mind-boggling. And we've looked at all this different biblical imagery so far in two messages and so many pictures, whether it was Jesus offering the cup to his disciples, whether it was baptism, all things that happened in wedding relationships, when two were being wed, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. My father's house, there are many dwelling places, where so I would, not, I would have told you. But I'll come again and receive to you myself, that where I am, you may be also. Amen. Believe in God, be also, believe also in me. You know, let not your hearts be troubled, he says, that he goes into what I just said. Beautiful promises. Yet the son or of a father would propose to a woman with a glass of wine if she drank. Yes, I do. He'd go prepare a place for her. Jesus is preparing a place for us. These are types that God interwove through his providence by his sovereignty and his divine power as he can herd cats and spell out what he's going to do in a myriad of ways, you know, even though people have free will, to show forth his glory and his divine plan. So we've been looking at marriage, and I don't want to go through all those different things we've gone through already because I won't have time to really dig the way I want to dig today. And uh, so I want to back up, though, just for the end of where we were, where we left off last time. And I want you to please go to uh, Revelation chapter 21. This is the verses we started with because we're actually going through the book of Revelation again. We're back in Revelation. The last two chapters, uh, chapter 21, verses 1 and and 2, you're like, man, you've been in 1 and 2 for a few weeks again now. Yeah, that's the pace I go at, you know. But in doing so, what do you learn? The entire what? Bible. Because we have intertextual studies where we go from Genesis to Revelation. So You're constantly learning the whole Bible. And you're learning uh, scripture at the same time in a very in-depth way. So we love to look at the forest, Genesis, Revelation, and we love to look at the trees and inspect them and see it all. That's why we don't have a 10, 15, 20-minute message. Amen? That's why people here, you can sit next to them. And you know how many people uh, talk to people here and they say, are are you the pastor? (laughs) Because people know the scripture here, you know? Some of the women, well, no, we don't have women pastors here, but you just know the word, right? So in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Verse 2. We've actually been going through these first two verses. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a what? As a bride adorned for husband. Because Jesus goes away to prepare a place for us. It's the bridal city. Look at verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here and I will show you the what? The bride, the, bride, the wife of the lamb. And I mentioned last week, so I won't reiterate why if you want to check it out, why we're, all, why we're at the same time the bride and we're also called the wife because we're both. It goes back to the first century customs. Uh, but I don't have time to delineate, look at the last message. So when is the wedding taking place? Is it before the tribulation period and we all party up in heaven while the world's being, while our brothers and sisters are being slaughtered down here? Is that when it is? No. When is the wedding feast take place? When the bridegroom comes. Amen. The second coming of Christ. Just like we see in Matthew 24. He said immediately after the tribulation those days, right? And then he says, Well, will gather elect. And a few verses later, he talked about the bridegroom's call will go out. That's after the tribulation and everybody needs to be ready. So right here in Revelation chapter 19, look at verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. How many of you can say amen? We need some righteousness in this world. We need the Lord to bring righteousness through his judgment uh, because his judgments are faithful and true. Are the politicians faithful and true? No, man. They're just, a lot of them, sometimes on both sides of the aisle, a lot of them are liars, man. Well, at least we could trust the journalists in the mainstream media, huh? Well, at least we could study, we could trust the, the medical leaders like, you know, Dr. Fauci. Oh. oh, wait a minute. Oh, no. no. Man, praise God Jesus is coming. Amen. Amen. Now, it's interesting because what happens in anticipation of his, this is his second coming. Nobody disagrees with that, right? It's <laughs> coming on his white horse to the armies of heaven if you keep reading. Amen. Well, who has just been made ready? Well, back up. Verses seven through nine. Let us what? Rejoice and be glad. Let's say that together. Let us rejoice And be glad. Why? Because, uh, uh, and give him glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. ready. She's ready. And then we talked about the wedding supper, her being clothed in white garments. I talked about how the birds eat first. We go and look at what happens. The birds eat the the flesh of the beasts, or I'm sorry, the uh, the flesh of the kings and of the earth and and their armies who make war against Christ at his second coming underneath the authority of the beast and the false prophet. So we looked at that. And I'm not going to read those verses again, but I want to get a little basic outline of where, we, uh, where we're at. So we know when it is, and then we talked about where is it at. It's not too hard to figure out. When Jesus comes back at his second coming, where's his feet going to land? The what? What? Amen. I'm hearing you say the Mount of Olives. Amen. I mean, you can read that in the Old and the New Testament. Zechariah chapter 14, right? Uh, Acts in, with uh, Matthew. And you see that Jesus said... The angel said, even as he departed, he departed for the Mount of Olives who returned the same way. And you'll see him. It's a visible, not a secret coming, a visible coming. That's been the historic uh, hope of the church, the visible second coming of the resurrected Christ, amen, at the second coming of Christ. Now, last time we left off with, you know, where's the wedding feast going to be? Well, if the wedding takes place and he's coming back at his second coming and he's going to land on the earth, it makes pretty, pretty obvious it's on earth and it wasn't seven years earlier. Now, but to strengthen that, and to really get into it a little deeper, remember this rejoice and be glad. Why? Because he's coming. Go now, please, to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 24, or 25. This is where we left off last time. Isaiah 25, if I just started here, I'd lose a lot of people that are perhaps tuning in for the first time. And we welcome you and thank you and praise the Lord for our live stream audience. That, uh, it's exciting that you've joined us, and we praise God. We have had no idea, you know, uh, and, we, and we have a good idea, but we have no idea either, you know, we constantly are in touch with all kinds of people, have all kinds of praise report, we know millions of people watch our videos and stuff online, millions of hits, on over a million hit on some of our, our videos and so forth, but with a ton of people been saved, it's, it's awesome to see what the Lord is doing, uh, but still when we go places, we trip out, because we see people come up out of the woodworks just in those areas to come uh, see our stuff, and uh, and it's like, Wow, they're getting ministered to right in those areas. And we're like, wow, wherever we seem to go, there's people in those areas that are that know we're going to show up, so they're not only just listening once in a while, which a lot of people do. Praise God! But they're actually following the ministry into it, being strengthened and edified. Uh, and, and praise God, it's encouraging. We are so encouraged by you guys. You think you know? They say, "Oh, we've been so encouraged by your ministry." Praise God, we've been so encouraged by our brothers and sisters. As we love it when we see people love truth that are like-minded. Man, they're digging into the Scripture. It blows us away. It blesses our hearts. It gives us a lot of joy in our hearts to say, "Wow." There's a lot of people out there, a lot more than you might think, that love the truth, and it's very exciting. When we were in New York, we had people from Connecticut and Texas and Philadelphia and New Jersey, and, of course, from different places in New York uh, there and, and, and so forth, and we are rejoicing. But one of the things I was encouraged by my by brother that uh, we exchanged some information, and, and uh, he's a great brother, and uh, uh, we, we, he, he, I talked to him on the phone the other day, and, and he's into this, He's this really discerning brother. Uh, praise God. I'm like, praise God, you know. He might even start a... Uh, A live stream group in the future where, where, you know, he's praying about it and so forth. We'll see where the Lord leads that. But he was saying, hey, Joe, even though he's in the discernment at the times and know what's going on, just a really responsible brother with a beautiful, he met his wife and beautiful children, beautiful family. He said, hey, Joe, he goes, I just want to thank you, man, because your guys' ministry, he goes, you're you're preaching through the years. He's been following our ministry for years. Has so strengthened my marriage, he goes, and showed me how to be a husband, you know, showed me how to be a father. It's made me a, 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 a family man and really strengthened my family. And I said to him, I, I go, because we were talking about the stuff that was going on in the world. And I said, brother, I just want to let you know that's as encouraging to me or maybe more encouraging than if you told me you've seen this video or that video and it helped you in this particular area a lot. Because that's what, you know, number one, amen, we want people to be saved, amen. We get that a lot. But I love also to hear how the Lord is making, using our ministry to make people fathers, amen, and make them better husbands, amen, and better men of God. And I looked at him and his wife and his, his, his children, it's just like his beautiful family, and that's why we have such an emphasis. Uh, if you've heard a lot of emphases on different things in our fellowship, one thing we talk about from time to time, quite often, is we warn against the apostasy, and that in the last days, men will be without, people will be without, that we lovers of self, but they'll be without what? Family, love, storge, amen, and that we need to make sure that we are do not lose our family love and cave into the l- agenda of the left, which wants to bring the dissolution of the family, right? Remember, Black Lives Matter, we agree 100%. Absolutely, Black Lives Matter, big time. We're, we, we praise God that we're a multiracial fellowship, amen? But the Black Lives Matter organization, they called for on their website the dissolution or the destruction of the nuclear family, okay? Alester Crowley, the Satanist, said, that family is public enemy number one, okay? Satan hates the family. God hates divorce. Book of Malachi. Amen. And we want to make sure we're faithful to our wives and wives, faithful to the husbands, and that we stick together in our marriages and so forth. And I mentioned to you last week that I love to teach on, on the Megum Wisterion, the great mystery of Christ and his bride, because to me, that's when you really become dedicated in your marriage, when you realize, wow. My marriage is supposed to be a living illustration of this cosmic marriage that's forever, amen? And how I treat my wife is a witness to the angelic realm even and to the lost world as to who Jesus is, amen? And how I, uh, how I follow the leadership of my husband as a sister is a picture of what the bride is to be to Christ, amen? These are powerful, powerful pictures. So I, last time I said, make sure you draw a line. From these pictures, we're looking at the customs of the weddings and marriages of those days, drawing a line to Christ and, and his bride, amen, which is, really the, which is really what it's ultimately about. But then we draw a line back to our own marriages and say, hey, am I faithful? Am I what God's called me to be? Amen? So now when we get to Isaiah chapter 25, I threw I know at least some people off when I mentioned verse 5 last time. It actually starts at verse 6. Look at this mini, it's called the mini apocalypse, some of chapter 24 and 25, it's the End-time scenario in Isaiah. It's called the mini-apocalypse sometimes. And look what he says. Isaiah talks about verse 6. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet. This is going to be a... When the Lord throws a banquet, that's... Can you imagine how awesome that is? The Lord throwing a banquet? Remember, he's going to throw a marriage for his son, right? But it's not just a banquet. He's going to throw a lavish banquet. Now, when God says he's going to throw a lavish banquet, watch out. No one could top it. Amen. The Lord's going to throw a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And I mentioned to you last time, the Bible says, woe to the one who gets his neighbor drunk. The Lord's not getting anyone drunk. You ain't drunk off this wine. Amen. Verse 7. And on this mountain, he will swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. What's the covering that he's going to swallow up, guys, when the Lord returns? Verse 8, he will swallow up what? There it is. He will swallow up what? Death. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord will wipe away, what? Tears. Wipe tears away from all faces. Hallelujah, can't wait. And he will remove the reproach from his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. Okay? Let me say, this, this is our God, the Lord who comes. This is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us what? Let us what? Rejoice. And? Be and be glad in his salvation. Understand, please, I try to encourage you. The Holy Spirit bears witness to his, the context of Scripture and the meaning of Scripture by what we call intertextualism in theology, where texts tie together. They tie themes together. They help us understand This is quoted in, I told you, Revelation has more quotations and allusions in the book of Revelation than any other book in the New Testament by far. That's because it's the Omega book. Genesis is the Alpha book. Revelation is the Omega book, okay? There's three books, make it four, that Satan hates the most. The book of Revelation, the book of Isaiah, the book of Daniel, and the book of Revelation, okay? He attacks those books the most because they reveal God's plan, and they also reveal that Satan is doomed. All those books. Genesis talks about how his head will be crushed. Isaiah talks about how he'll be thrown down to the pit. Daniel talks about how his his plan will be foiled. Revelation shows us how he'll be bound for a thousand years and later be cast in the lake of fire. And they reveal God's plan so we understand what's happening in the days in which we live. So it's interesting right here. He says, let us rejoice and be glad. That's quoted in Revelation chapter 19 of Jesus' second coming because he's the lord we have waited for we just read amen? amen and he's going to establish his reign and he's going to have a lavish banquet we just read okay and that's the millennial period beginning the millennium we are pre millennial we're not pre trib but we're pre millennial he comes back in revelation 19 when you read revelation 20 what just began a thousand year reign of christ it's pretty clear I don't know how people could come up with ah mill post mill, and all these weird mill views that are un and preterism especially, all these weird, unscriptural views, man. Just go to Revelation 19. You see Christ come back with the armies of heaven, defeat the Antichrist, Satan's bound for a thousand years, chapter 20, and Christ rules for a thousand years. It says it six times in case you missed it. And I, I don't believe it's an accident the Lord put it six times a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand, years a thousand years. In case you just don't get it. Ah, a thousand Oh, it's probably just figurative. Oh, yeah? You think the Daniel's 70th week was figurative? The first 69 sevens weren't figurative. Christ was cut off right in the end of the 69th week. And then after the 69th week, you see, an, you see a parenthesis. You see the Messiah being cut off. You see the destruction of the temple. And then there's a last week. And the early church fathers even knew that. Last seven years is to come. The seventh week of Daniel. In the middle of the week, the Antichrist sits in the temple of God. Okay, he reigns for 1,260 days. That's literal. It says, and it says 42 months. God couldn't make it clearer. And those numbers are literal, just like the other 69 sevens were literal. So why would I not take the 1,000 years as being literal? The, emphasis, the, the burden of proof would be on you, not on us. So we're going to stick to premillennialism, we're strict to the literalism of the Scripture unless the Scriptures warrant another interpretation, which they don't in this case. Amen? Now, man, I've got to be careful because I have 15, 16 pages of notes within a lot. But still, I need to go get through them. But anyway, so it's, the Lord is good. And I want you to notice this as well. When he comes back with His lavish banquet, man, and he's going to break out the food. Remember, they tripped out when Jesus turned water into wine. It's like, this is the best, you know? What are you serving the best? Usually the best is, you know, served first. Because you ever take a few bites of food? You realize you don't have to keep eating 50 bites to be satisfied, right? Okay, I'm, I'm, who am I preaching to, right? You know, I love food. So like, but you know what? I'm learning that more and more, you know? It's the first few bites of food that taste great. The next six, seven, eight is just not as good. You know, same thing when you drink something, okay? So you'd serve the best wine first, you know? It tastes really good at first. But I, he said, this is because Jesus made that wine just, now he makes the wine that comes from the grape. Jesus turned water away. He does it all the time, every day, man. Every time, every time you drink grape juice, that was water. Start with rainwater. He funneled it through these plants he made and then turns into grape juice, water to wine. Oh, he can do that. Yeah, he can. He just did it faster. Boom. And it tastes so good. Can you imagine this lavish feast, man, where he makes the wine, he makes the bone marrow. It's just going to be amazing. But notice what happens. Verse 8. Again, he will what? Swallow up death for all time. Amen. He will swallow up death for all time. Where is that quoted? That's referring to the rapture. By the way, when does this happen? On earth, when he comes to reign in his millennium. Three minute post, they look at this, they're all like, yeah, this is the millennial reign of Christ. You know? Yeah, it is. But it's also when the rapture takes place, just like we looked at in Matthew, Revelation 19. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I mentioned some of this really quickly at the end of my message last week, but I wanted to take a little more time so it could soak in and you could actually own it, you know? And say, yes, I get it. I understand it. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's talking about the rapture. This is one of the uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Verse 50, this is one of the clear places where we believe the scriptures talk, and the scriptures definitely talk about the rapture. First Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17 talks about the dead in Christ rise first, and that we who are alive will be what? Caught up. Greek word, harpazo, yeah. to meet the Lord in the air. You could say, well, I don't, the word rapture isn't the, 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 used in the Bible. The word rapture itself, which actually comes from Latin Vulgate, which raptus, you know. But, well, well yeah, and our translation, you know, the Greek word, yeah, it doesn't use it. But okay, Harpazo. Do you believe in the harpazo? Well, well, uh, oh, the harpazo's in there, man. We'll be caught up. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does per- the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We're gonna be changed. When? Verse 52 In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the what, last trumpet, again the last trumpet cannot be at the beginning of the tribulation period. Why? Because there are seven trumpets that blow through the tribulation. Amen. And the seventh trumpet brings the end of the world. It says the kingdoms of the world become the kingdom of Christ, and it's time to reward His servants. It says there. Whoa, that's when Jesus comes. Yeah. Revelation eleven fifteen through seventeen. And actually, 15 through 19, you can read. And read uh, Revelation chapter 10, verse 7. Because it says in, the, in verses 6 and 7, verse 6, it says, it'll, it, there'll be time no more. Delay no longer. The end's going to come. That's the point. Because they're crying out. How long do you avenge our bloods, Our blood on those who dwell on the earth a little bit earlier, right? Now, there, it's, don't worry, it's coming. Boom. Verse 6. And then it says in verse 7, in the voice of the seventh angel. Seventh trumpet. The context of seven trumpets in verse chapters 8 through 11. Seventh trumpet. The voice of the seventh angel means the seventh trumpet. The mystery of God. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment that we can lie. The mystery of God shall be finished as he's declared to his servants, the prophets. I believe the bigger mystery that Paul's talking about is the one, he mentioned Ephesians, mentioned at the end of Romans, where it talks about God's gathering people from all the different nations. as the church of the mystery, okay? And that's gonna be finished when the seventh trumpet blows, verse seven of chapter 10. You get to the seventh trumpet, which is the last trumpet. It doesn't bring you to some plague of grasshoppers, okay? It brings you to Christ's second coming, He came, it says right there. He who was and is. No longer he who was and is and is to come. If you have a translation like the King James, that says who was and is and is to come. Cross out, is to come. It's not in any Greek manuscript. Okay? Not... The oldest Greek manuscripts are really, really, really clear who was and is. Because it says, he took his great power and began to reign. And it was time to destroy those who destroy the earth. And it was time to reward his servants, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, freedom. All the the servants get rewarded. When did they get rewarded? Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me at its coming. It all fits together like a hand in a glove. That's what blows me away. When you do proper intertextualism, when you find yourself coming to the conclusion that the early church came to. You just have the, your, your doctrine, becomes a historical Christian doctrine in the first few centuries of church history. Not that the church fathers were on and everything, but when they had a consensus, they were usually pretty right on. Now, notice this in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, by the way, when Jesus comes, he says immediately after the tribulation, immediately after the tribulation, in Matthew 24, remember that? Amen. To gather his elect, he says, there'll be the sound of a great trumpet. If a trumpet had happened seven years earlier at the beginning of the tribulation, that trumpet that Jesus talks about would not be the last trumpet. I mean, I'm sorry, that would, that would, it wouldn't have happened at the last trumpet because Jesus has the rapture at the last trumpet. So a trumpets earlier not the last trumpet, but it gets even stronger than that. Or it gets even bolstered, I should say. Look at verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable and he will be changed and we will be changed. Amen. For the perishable was put on the imperishable, thank God, and this mortal must put on immortality, amen, look at verse 54, but when, there's a time signature, want to know when it's going to happen again, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and the mortal will have put on immortality, then, you can circle when and draw a line to a little circle then, then will come about the saying that is written, death is what? Swallow up a victory. Paul said that's when that prophecy is going to be fulfilled. He said, when this happens, when we get our resurrected bodies, part of the rapture, then this scripture is going to be fulfilled. Death will be swallowed up in victory. victory. What's he quoting from? Use your head now. Use your head. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. Remember, when the Lord has his lavish banquet, he's going to swallow up death. Amen? Does he swallow up death before the tribulation? No. No, There's more death during that time than ever before. In fact, Jesus said there would be such death that if he doesn't come back and those days were not shortened, no life would be saved. You guys, it's so obvious when you just study the scriptures. That's why I know there's a huge deception right now. That's why I know because so much of the church thinks they're not going to face the tribulation and the Antichrist and the Bible warns, don't be deceived to think that, that, that that day Lord's coming to gather to happen. Don't think that's going to happen first. First there will be what two events? Paul said, the falling away and the antichrist. Well, why is there a falling away? Because a lot of people just aren't ready, man. They're thinking they're just going to skate and go have a party in heaven for seven years, and that's when the wedding feast starts. When they get caught up, and that's where it's at in heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches, man. The Bible is very clear. Paul says when that passage is fulfilled, that the rapture takes place. Go back to Matthew, go back to Isaiah twenty five. You'll you'll find. It's at the millennial reign of Christ, that lavish banquet on this mountain, on earth. Amen. That's what we're looking forward to. Let this be crystallized in your mind. In fact, guess what? If you're talking to someone who's mixed up and thinks, "Oh no, we don't have to be concerned about facing severe persecution and so forth," especially in these days, man, it's going to get worse before you know it. Okay? You guys need to understand. You need to share with people. Hey, you ever think about what Paul's saying? When this would happen? Do you realize he's talking about the last trumpet? When? When's the last trumpet? It's not the first trumpet of the seven trumpets. It's the last. And it can't be earlier than Matthew 24, immediately after tribulation when the trumpet blows, because then they have two last trumpets. This doesn't make sense. And it's when the scripture is fulfilled. Death is swallowed with victory, which is in Ma- Isaiah 25.8. The mini-apocalypse is at the beginning of the millennial reign on earth. Are you with me? It's so beautiful, though, too. I wish I didn't have to be a polemicist to a degree. I wish I could just look at the beauty and say, oh, beautiful. And we all were on the same page in the church throughout the world. But we're not. So I have to speak in a corrective manner because all Scripture is profitable for what? Teaching, right? And also for correction. We need to be corrected by God's Word. So this is very, very important that we understand this. Now, so the wedding's on earth, you know. And it's interesting because Jesus says in... and I think it's just beautiful. Uh, you know, we have passages where it's, it's very clearly on earth. In Luke chapter 13, verse 22, if you want to go there. And he was passing through one city and a village to another teaching and, proceed, uh, and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, there are just a few that uh, are going to be saved. And he says to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter, but will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, you will begin to stand outside and knock, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer and say to you, I don't know where you're from. So what's interesting about this is he's going to shut the door. Remember in Matthew chapter 24 when the bridesmaids need to be ready for his coming and then there are 10 of them are sleeping. They represent the church and guess what? They're sleeping, they've dozed off and all of a sudden the voice, the bridegroom, the bridegroom cometh, you hear that he's He's coming. And they all get up to trim their lamps, and you needed lamps. And you didn't know the exact day or hour because guess what? Sometimes he's journeying from a long way away. You know, it could be held up for something. You know, I'm talking about a literal wedding back in those days. Could take days longer than you thought it was going to be or, or what have you. And you had to be ready, and you had to have enough oil in your lamp. And if you didn't have enough oil in your lamp, man, you could be in serious trouble. And they're all like struggling with it. But guess what? Five run out of oil, remember? And what happens? Verse six, at midnight, there was a shout. Behold, the bridegroom come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, no, there will not be enough for us and you to go and go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. And the door was what? Shut. Later, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I don't know you. Be on the alert then. If you don't know the day nor the hour. So we need to make sure we're watching the signs of the times. So we're always ready. Amen. Amen. You need to be aware. You need to have oil in your lamp. What's oil a picture of in the the scripture? The The Holy Spirit. Amen. What's the lamp a picture of in the Bible? Thy word is a Lamp to my feet, right? And a light unto my path. The day of Christ, we're looking forward to it. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, that prophecy, which is the lamp to our feet. It says, it's the, we look to Christ. In fact, I'm going to read that passage because it's just so beautiful. If you go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter, and when you get there, just go to chapter, uh, 2 Peter, I'm sorry, chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, and, uh, Go ahead and look at verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure. Verse 19, 2 Peter 1, 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to what? A lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We need to make sure we are close to the Lord and that we have his scripture close to our hearts and we are opening it up, amen? And that we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God that we're saying, Lord God, you know, help me to obey you. Give me strength. Empower me. Amen. You want to be filled with his Holy Spirit and you want to obey his word. These are huge keys to endure the end times. You want to be prepared for the end times? Well, things are getting really rough. Do I need to store food? Do I need to run over here? Do I need to go do that? You know what you need to make sure you do first and foremost? Make sure that there was oil in your lamp. Amen. Make sure that the Spirit of God is filling you, amen? Don't be drunk with wine, the Bible says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? You need to make sure that the word of God is a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. And that's why I give studies like I do. Because I know I, along with many other people, have been called to strengthen the church for these times and to prepare the church. Because there's a huge deception going on and there's a lot of people that are teaching, well, the prophecies have already come to pass. Preterism. You don't have to even focus on it. Oh, Or there's no Antichrist. Or or we're gonna take over the world, the seven mountain false doctrine that we're going to take over the seven mountains and, and roll before Christ comes back. That's such a lie. Okay. Or these other doctrines, you know, which good brothers and sisters believe some of these things like the whole thing that, oh, God's going to take us before the tribulation. You know, my wife was like, man, you didn't finish the other day when you were talking about that radical dream you had that just, and I said, yeah, you know what? Because we started, had some questions came up and stuff kind of threw me off. And she goes, you didn't get to that part where, you know, you know, because that was that dream where I was saying, I was crying out to God. I was saying, Lord, you know, help me stay on the straight and narrow and just be a preacher that never deviates. Because I was reading an article about this guy that just went way off and I don't want to be proud and say, oh, I would never, you know, fall short like that. i say, Lord, take it to you. Make sure, you know, help me be strong always because I see guys have a great start. they never think they'd fall, right? And, and uh, in that dream, I was telling you that, that I was preaching the gospel and I was literally preaching uh, uh, from Matthew chapter 7. I don't remember looking down at the Bible and reading it. I just remember I was preaching Matthew chapter 7 and at the end there where Jesus sums up the Sermon on the Mount where he brings a conclusion saying, you need to build your life on the rock. That's all I was saying. You need to build your life on the rock. Jesus is the rock. His words are the rock, you know, something to that effect. I was preaching it. Yet there were so many people out there on the hillside and stuff I was preaching to that I felt like they couldn't hear me. And then I was like trying to project my voice in my dream, you know, and and then all of a sudden there's this little box over here, you know, And I had to go to the box because the box, but I couldn't see it. It was like invisible. There's this box I had to get to. I could project my voice. Then when I was projecting my voice, they could hear. And they were all like listening. And then a lot of people just got up and they just left. And in my dream, I was like, that's a bummer. I'm just preaching Jesus. Build your life on the rock. Build your life on his word. What are they here for? And they're just leaving, you know. Steve, you ever have those kind of dreams when you're preaching? Can't get your notes together or something, you know? (laughs) Like, where's my notes, you know? wasn't, that was, I've had those kinds of dreams. This was more like very, very outlined dream, very specific after I'd been praying. And I preached and preached and preached and preached as they were leaving. I just kept standing and preaching anyway. The Bible says, you know, Paul says, "Preach the word in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering doctrine. For time will come when they will not heed sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they'll heap themselves teachers. I'll tickle the ears and tell them without hear." But he says to Timothy, "You do the work of evangelist. You preach the word in season, out of season." Amen. So you keep I just kept preaching, and I was saying, all these people on the hillside that stayed, all started lighting up. They're all glowing and this excitement for Jesus, saying, "Praise the Lord, Hallelujah! Praise God, Hallelujah!" Amen. And I'm like, praise the Lord. Then I was encouraged. Like, praise God. There are people out there that love truth still. And I just kept preaching. Then I woke up. It was like so powerful. And I thought about the word, you know. It's like, wow, don't just be discouraged that some people don't love the truth. Joe. be encouraged that preaching the word. And I would share that. I've shared that dream a few times, you know. Somebody came up to me afterwards one time. They said, I never explained the box because I don't know what it was. I'm just like, I was kind of just telling my dream when it was first had it, you know. And then somebody came up to me and they go, Joe, do you realize how many people your ministry touches through the internet how many people are getting fired up uh, to follow the Lord through the internet, internet ministry? And that was when it was a lot smaller. And now it's a trip because when I meet people that, that get ministered to through our ministry, they're lit up. They're excited about Jesus over and over and over again. I'm like, God is good, amen? But guess what? What do I do? I don't preach myself. <laughs> I hope everybody leaves I ever preach myself. I preach Jesus, man. I preach his word. That's where the life is, Amen understanding his word. This is a lamp to our feet. This is light to our path. And we're talking about the prophetic word. Amen. The Bible says, those who, you know, perish, my children perish because of lack of knowledge. Amen. And the Bible also says, without a prophetic vision, my people go astray. The people just go astray. Just, we need to have the lamp, especially in the days that we live. We need to have the light and the power of the Holy Spirit. So time is coming And Jesus is going to have the banquet on earth. In fact, Luke 12, 37 says this. Blessed, Jesus says, are those servants whom the master finds on watch when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and he himself will come and wait on them. Wow, I can't get my brain around that, man. Jesus is gonna be waiting on us at the table and serving us? Get your brain around that, guys. And let that be an example to you. He says, if I've given you an example, right, you got to serve one another, right? He's going to serve us in the millennial kingdom and bless us, man. The risen Christ. Talk about humbling. And he made the food. He prepares the banquet. You guys, wow. Anybody want to be a waiter in the millennium? Take tips when Jesus comes and serves. Okay? Now, it's interesting because listen to Matthew chapter, or Luke chapter 13, verse 26. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. This doesn't happen in heaven. This happens on earth. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. There you, when you see, when you see, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Wow. And behold, some who are last. Who will be first, and somewhere first will be last. We're going to be reclining at his table in a lavish millennial banquet, man. This is part of the wedding, guys. Amen? amen. You, you, you like receptions at a wedding? You know? Yeah. There's not be any ACDC and stuff. By the way, if you, have, if you get married and you have a wedding, don't play satanic music. You're supposed to be glorifying Jesus, amen? Play music that glorifies God. I really encourage you in that. No, I, I, I want to play devil's music. Well, pfft, then that's between you and God, but whoa, man. Play, play music that glorifies God if you can. Amen? Definitely stay away from back and black and ACDC and that stuff. Matthew 18, 11 through 13. I say to you, many will come. See, that's why people leave sometimes too when I preach. Okay. That's just part of it. It's part of the deal, man, because I preach the whole counsel of God. Matthew 8, 11 through 13. I say to you, many will come from the east and to the west and share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there's going to be a division between sheep and goats and so forth. And there's going to be the millennial reign of Christ, okay? Now, it's interesting because we're seeing all these wonderful pictures, but there's going to be this incredible uh, song of celebration uh, when this takes place. You can go to Psalm chapter 45, verses 3 through 6, because why do you have a reception, man? What do you have at a wedding? You have songs, amen, music. And we read in Psalm 45, verses three through six, and then verse nine, gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one. Now keep in mind, we have a warrior king. When he comes back to his wedding, the wedding motif is not the only motif that's used, amen? That's not the only metaphor. There's also, he's a warrior. He comes to make war against the Antichrist, the false prophet. So we get delivered, amen, from the beast and the false prophet, Happy day that is, amen. POWs are released and so forth. And then we get married. I mean, you couldn't make a movie better than this, you know. And it's like, gird up your sword on your thigh because he's a warrior, O mighty one. In your splendor and your majesty. And in your majesty, ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. Look at, look at this. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness or uprightness is a scepter of your kingdom. Then verse 9. Kings and daughters and, uh, are among the noble ladies. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. Isn't that awesome? Now, now some people say, oh, this refers to King Solomon. You know, this cannot refer to King Solomon. Okay? Number one, he's not God. Number two, King Solomon was never a warrior. Okay? I mean, the commentators, when you look at the commentators, oh, this is King Solomon. No, it's not. King Solomon wasn't a warrior. In fact, David couldn't build a temple because he was a warrior, a man of blood. Amen. Solomon could because he wasn't a man of blood. And he had peace during his time, okay, in his kingdom, right? So this is talking about the Lord God, okay, and his wedding. In fact, Hebrews 10, verses 8 through 10, these words are quoted of Jesus by the Father. Hebrews 10, 8 through 10. But of the Son, he says, your throne, but of the Son, Jesus, that is, your throne, O God, he calls, the Father calls Jesus God, is forever and ever. This is great for Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way. Show them this passage, man. Show Jesus is God. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the, right- and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. With the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. It's talking about Jesus. This is Jesus is our heavenly bridegroom. And then it, pick, pick, pick it back up at Psalm 45, verse 13 through 15, and we read, All glorious is the princess within her chamber. Her, her gown is interwoven with gold. Wow. Okay. It's embroidered garments, she is led, I'm sorry, in embroidered garments, she is led to the king. Her virgin companions follow her, those brought to be with her, led in with the joy and gladness. Oh, I love that. There it is again, a little tie-in to Revelation in Isaiah 25. Uh, it's, it's a trip. Led in with joy and gladness, they enter the palace of the king. Wow. So we're going to enter the palace of the king, Okay. He's going to reign on earth, amen, and we're going to rule with him. And by the way, one of the things you get when you, the, the, the marriage is absolutely consummated in the sense of that we're transformed into his likeness and we, we're already one with him in the body of Christ, but when that's fulfilled in the resurrection as the body of Christ, keep in mind the marriage and the wedding is a metaphor, it's a picture of a, a deeper spiritual reality that we're going to experience that even transcends by far any human marriage. It's, it's, a, mind, it's a mind blow, it really is. Now think about this. We're going to reign with him now. We're going to be in his palace. And the church is the bride of the king, of kings, and Lord of lords. It's Revelation 19 it comes back. King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is you. This is your story. Okay, history is his story, but you're tied to his story. Amen. Amen. Through faith in Christ. Now, when Adam and Eve, Adam, Eve comes out, brought out of his side, Christ on the cross, Amen. Water and blood come out, the church's birth through his death, right? She goes to the tree, Adam loses his life. Jesus goes to the tree, brings us life. It's all a reversal, right? Thorns and thistles come up, right? Uh, in Eden, because they're sin, Jesus dies, and thorns and thistles are stuck on his head because he bears our penalty. She sins in the garden, and they fall in the garden. He rises in a garden, amen? In the garden tomb. Uh, where he's buried, he rises. They lose the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus rises, breathes on the Spirit. His disciples says, receive the Holy Spirit. It's all a reversal, guys. It's just too deep to spend too much time in, but we've done that other times. That's a whole other typology, part of what we're talking about now, but not even part of this three-part series other than me just giving a little glimpse here and there. There's so much to this whole story from Genesis to Revelation, but check this out. When you consider this, when Adam and Eve were ruling, it wasn't just Adam that was ruling. Eve was his co-regent amen Amen. they ruled together as husband and wife they were one flesh Amen? amen and adam you know means man but she shares his humanity she's equal to him they have different roles okay he has authority as far as leadership goes but she's just as human as he is and eve rules with adam okay and it's important to understand they were given dominion over the earth now guess what we're the bride of christ we will rule with him he's the second adam We're his bride. Okay. In fact, go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 25. Revelation chapter 2. God bless you. Verse 25. I'll dunk you real fast, sister, in case you got a cold. (laughs) Revelation 2, 25. Nevertheless, this is a promise to one of the churches. Uh, Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, overcoming involves continuing to keep his deeds to the end. Faith without works is dead. To him I will give what? Authority over what? The nations. And he shall rule them with what? A rod of iron. As vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a promise to all the churches. Okay, Jesus is the morning star. We'll get the fullness of him in a measure that we don't even comprehend now it says we'll we be given grace through the ages will we be given grace to grace as the ages it, it, so it's just more and more through eternity i can't get my brain around that but it's like wow you know like there's still anticipation of even greater things throughout eternity but we're going to roll with Christ okay we're going to have authority with him and now in the millennial kingdom, keep in mind, there's those who are left from the nations that came up against Christ at the second coming in Zechariah chapter 14, probably their children and so forth, that they're now given an opportunity that, of, the, of the lost people that didn't, those kids that didn't take the mark of the beast, they now repopulate the earth as do uh, Jews uh, when they see him whom they pierced and the fountain of cleanses open to him in chapter 12, 13, 1, and then chapter 14, you can read all about this. So we're going to rule over people in natural bodies, even though we are in supernatural bodies reigning with Christ. How how can supernatural bodies, well, be with natural bodies that die? Why not? Jesus was with his apostles after the resurrection for how long? 40 days, days, amen? Eating fish with them and stuff. It's pretty heavy. Okay. God created the universe. Of course, that's an easy thing for him to do. In fact, Revelation 3.21, we read this. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne. He that overcomes, I will grant to sit down with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You're going to sit with him on his throne if you're an overcomer. What's an overcomer? We overcome the world by faith. Revelation, or First John chapter 4, the first four or five verses. Amen. Revelation twelve eleven, And they overcame him, that is the devil we overcome, by the blood of the Lamb. Through what Christ did in the cross, that's the ground of our victory. Amen. Amen. And by the, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. Our faith in Christ and our testimony that he is our Lord. Amen. And they loved not their lives, even to the point of death. That means we hold our faith to the end. We remain faithful to him. Amen. This is all key. This is all critical. It's all important. Okay. So what's amazing about this is that's not the whole, that gets even better. That's the millennial period. That's the thousand year reign of Christ. Amen. After the thousand years Satan is let loose from the abuso for a short time and he leaves the the people astray that are in mortal bodies, not you because you're reigning with Christ. You can't perish. You're in a new body. Amen? Your probation is over. You're reigning for Christ for a thousand years. You can't fall during that reign, okay? You have a new body and everything. You're not even connected to the flesh. Satan's bound. You're following Jesus. But Satan's let loose for a short time, and he gathers the sand, like the sand of the sea, Gog and Magog, those nations that that resisted God's call to come up and worship him, because Christ will be reigning in Jerusalem. That resisted him throughout that thousand years. And God, and they'll come up against Jerusalem, against the, the place of the saints, you know, it says, and the Lord where he's reigning. And, it's, and God will just fire from heaven, just consume them. And then guess what happens? The great white throne judgment, which we read about in Revelation chapter 20. The people whose souls come up from Hades and death are brought before the throne, and they're resurrected, it says. And if their names aren't written in the Lamb's book of life, they're thrown into the lake of fire, okay? We're still with Christ, though, Okay? We're at most spectators at the great white throne judgment. We've already been judged. We've, believers don't come into condemnation, amen? If we're trusting Jesus, we're not going to come into condemnation. We're rewarded, those who are trusting Jesus, amen? So that happens when he comes back, when he, with regard to us. He comes back, we're rewarded, we lose rewards, we gain rewards based on what we've done or not done. We enter in and rule with him for 1,000 years, end of 1,000 years. What, just, what I mentioned takes place, Satan is, gets torched, or I should say his armies get torched. This time he's not thrown in. The abuso enchained. He's sort of like a fire, where the beasts of the false prophet were thrown at the beginning of the thousand-year reign. Then the great white throne judgment. Then guess what? We've been having this hoopla of a good time, and it's actually called a hoopah in Hebrew. They talk about this this hoopah, which was this canopy, this place, a designated place where you would be with your bride, kind of like a honeymoon suite for a while. That's like the thousand years. But after that, it was it was a mm, it was it was basically it, it was a predecessor to moving into the mansion or the dwelling place at the Father's house, okay? So the thousand years is just a taste of what's to come. That's gonna be beautiful. It's gonna be like eating again, it says during those thousand years. It's gonna be beautiful, but guess what? Nothing like the city that comes down from heaven where we're gonna be with him forever and ever. Are you with me? That's what comes after the thousand years. And then we're gonna be with him forever and ever. In fact, uh, we looked at it in Revelation 21. And by the way, we're studying now. This is cool because now we'll be able to get into Revelation 21 and 22 and start going through the verses, looking at how it describes New Jerusalem. 1,500 miles wide, both ways, by the way. That's like half the width. A city, just a city is half the width of the United States. One city. Oh, it's way bigger than the United States, though, because it's 1,500 miles high. I don't know if that means there's thousands of floors. Or what? It's just, but it's a city, man. There's water that comes out of the throne of God. It's just fruit that bears 12 kinds of fruit. Can you imagine just one stream? Mm, I want that or watermelon day? Well, watermelon doesn't grow from trees, but who knows? In the new, you know, with what God does, you don't know what's going to be growing. But I know it's going to be good. I never knew. You're never going to be bummed out. There's no sorrow, there's no more death. All that gets taken away, which is what we're going to be studying. It, it describes there'd be no more death, no more curse, no more sickness. Amen looking forward to those those days amen now so the bridal chamber uh was called the hupa h-o-p-a is how you might pronounce it it's h-u-p-p-a-h the hebrew transliteration. okay and it's going to just be amazing but that that was the temporary facility where the husband and wife would be for a duration of time you know that's i believe pictures of millennium but then they would move into the bridal chamber and go to go to go to revelation chapter 21 verse 3 now Wow, can you believe it? we made to verse 3? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Amen? Amen. That's going to be glorious. Wow. So the tabernacle of God is among men. Now, it's interesting. It says that Jesus tabernacled among us. In the Greek, when it talks about he became flesh, it's interesting. Uh, and now, he tabernacled among us, but he is literally the tabernacle of God is among men. And this could be in a fuller way. Because keep in mind, Jesus' vor- glory was veiled when he came to earth. Amen. What's crazy is when God is in these radical storms, did, you ever think of it this way? I've been working on a message for some time. I think it's, I'm so excited about it because it's like, I love to see God's power. It's like, wow. And when God appears in storms like to Job or in Ezekiel, you think, that's a radical, dark storms even. (laughs) That's a radical manifestation of God as the ultimate storm God, even though he's not a storm God. He's he's way beyond the storm gods, but he manifests in the storm. (laughs) You know, even that dark storm is to actually not only show you who he is, but it's also to spare you because he hides himself, he says, in darkness because he dwells in unapproachable light, unapproachable light. In other words, if he didn't come in that storm, you saw him in his, his raw nature, you'd just be melted instantly. It's heavy to think. That's, that's an interesting irony, isn't it? Okay. I just gave away my whole next message on that. But it's pretty, it's pretty awesome though, amen? God is good. I love to just see his glory. and I just pray, God, help us. May your name be made holy. Hallowed be thy name. May they see, we see more and more of your glory. And I cry out for that, you know. I'm far from perfect, you know. I, I cry out, Lord, you know, because I want you to see God's glory more and more. So that's my constant cry. But... Uh, we got to recognize the powerful God that we have. So when Jesus came, his glory was veiled to a degree. Oh, he showed it at times, right? When he says before Abraham was, I am, and then they come to arrest him. And, you know, are you him? I am. (laughs) All these Roman soldiers, we were tough guys, man. About as tough as you can get in those days. Oh, fall down. Just says I am. A little burst to show you who he is, okay? We have an awesome radical God created the entire universe. And as I Mentioned earlier, the heavens of heavens can't contain him. But guys, it's amazing because uh, he's going to tabernacle among us. And now we're going to be with the Father and we're going to be with the Son. And the glory will not be veiled. And we're going to go and read on later that that you don't have any need of light there because the Father and the Son, the Lamb, will be the light. Amen. Just, we'll be shining and refracting their glory. And New Jerusalem will be like this shiny jewel in space, man. It's going to be so absolutely beautiful because we be refracting where his jewels, it says, right, that are snatched up, it says in the, the scripture. It's going to be beyond what, what, that which we could imagine. But he's going to tabernacle among us. And it says, the pure in heart. Remember, Moses wanted to see God? Just show me your glory. He you goes, okay. What did he do? He put Moses where, remember? A Behind a rock. He goes, okay, Moses, you can check me out now but you're just gonna see my afterglow because no one can see God and die and live, amen? He would die. He just sees his afterglow. And that's when he says, he's full of goodness, you know, and mercy, he starts seeing all this beauty. Somehow it translates into the words in the scripture that he's full of goodness and mercy, he's blown away. But he also is just and he punishes the wicked. He writes these things, it's like, wow, he's a just God. Well, guess what, man? We won't have to be behind a rock, amen? Because we'll be made anew will be resurrected into imperishable bodies. Amen. And we'll be able to see the Lord in his glory. Because it says the pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Okay, that's coming. So he's going to literally tabernacle among them. And I can't wait till we get into more and more verses. But are you glad we kind of go all over the scripture though? And get the big picture? You know, instead of just read, okay, that's a cool, we read it, it's awesome, but we want to study it, you know. So the tabernacle is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Now, go to Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. 14b, the second part of verse 14. These are the ones who come out of great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The only way you can be white is by the blood of the Lamb, amen. amen. For this reason... They are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And listen to this. And he who sits on the throne will what? Spread his what? Spread his tabernacle over them. Now what's going on here? He's going to spread his tabernacle over them. What does that mean? He's got a tabernacle among us. He's going to spread his tabernacle over them. Think about this now. Keep in mind, that it says they'll no longer be burnt by the heat of the sun. Because be you don't need the sunlight anymore because you have the son of God. And the sunlight is just a little picture of his beauty. Now you're basking in his light. It's going to be amazing. What does it mean he's going to spread his tabernacle over them? Remember when Ruth went to her kinsman, redeemer, Boaz, and she was to be married to him? Right? She hoped to be because he was a picture of Christ, and she was a picture because she's a Gentile of the bride of Christ, the church. I'm getting. If I'm losing you right now, it's okay. You'll get, you'll get it later as you continue to study. You'll start to understand these things more and more because we've elaborated on these things, but that's part of being new. So just don't tune out because you'll understand these things later as you grow in Christ. But literally, Ruth, you know, whole book's named after her. She needs a kinsman redeemer. The kinsman redeemer was a relative of her husband who had died, Right? Who could actually take care of her, which was part of the welfare law that God gave to the Old Testament Jews, so he could protect them and show them also pictures of his son. Amen. Amen. And what happens in Ruth chapter three, verses eight and nine? It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Okay? By spreading his covering over her, he's saying, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be my bride. I've got you covered, so to speak. Amen? That you're going to become mine. We're going to become one flesh. And in chapter 3, verse 11, the second part of that verse, it says, I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. So he's going to marry this woman of excellence. And... Uh, she's going to become one with him. They're going to be married. And by the way, Boaz, Jesse comes from Boaz. David comes from Jesse. Jesus comes from David's line. Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer because we couldn't be redeemed. We couldn't be saved. We were, we had no hope of salvation. But guess what? God became a Man. man to share our humanity, to become our kin, amen. And he paid for all of our sins, so he can cover our sins and actually take them away. Amen. And so he covers us with his tabernacle so we be one with him forever. Are you with me? Amazing. The scripture is deep. And when I say I don't want to race through revelation, then guess what? I'm going to race through revelation at times. I just did a whole revelation, chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 22, the very last verse in 22 in like just an hour and some minutes. And uh, everybody was betting against me that I couldn't do it. But we did it on a podcast. If you want to check it out? You'll just get the whole forest like dizzying. You know, it's pretty cool, though. But you know what? You can't stop and point these things out, though, if you do that, too. So now we're looking at the trees, too. Everything has meaning in Scripture. And he spreads his tabernacle out over us. In fact, to get a little bit more of the imagery in mind, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. Now, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. And let's go there. Verse 8, Ezekiel 16, verse 8, and we read. Then I passed by you and saw you, and behold, you were at the time for love. So I spread my skirt over you. Okay, he covered them. God's talking about what he did with Israel. Over you, to what? And covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a what? Covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. See how that works? That's pretty heavy, man. Verse nine. Then I bathed you with water, washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals and and porpoise skin on your feet. And I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments, but put bracelets on your hands and a necklace around your neck. I put on you a ring in your nostrils, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned, with gold and silver. And your dress was of fine linen, silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey and oil. So you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced into what? Royalty. We were nothing, man, before Jesus got us, guys. Now we're his internal inheritance and he's our inheritance. Amen. Wow. Wow. You advanced to royalty. Verse 14. Then your fame went forth among the nations on account of your beauty, for it was perfect because of my splendor, which I bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. Any beauty that we have comes from him, guys. We need to give him thanks. Amen? Amen. It's just so mind-blowing and and so uh, incredibly beautiful. Now, check this out. Go back to Revelation 21, the New Jerusalem, and the bridal city, which we're studying, Revelation chapter 21, and go ahead and look at verse 22. John says, I saw, and I saw what? I saw no what? There's no and there, no chi in the Greek. Just I saw no temple in it, in New Jerusalem. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its what? Temple. temple. So there's no physical temple you'll say, I want to go worship the Lord. He's our temple. He's our light. He's our tabernacle. He's our covering. He's our all in all, Amen. This would be mind-boggling. and we're to, he, it's, So this, this love story began way long time ago. Didn't begin in Genesis 1, 1 even. Began before the creation of the world. This was always God's plan. Amen. Him knowing that he'd make people in his image, humans. Out of all the creatures, he'd make humans in his image. He knew they would fall. He didn't have to make us. He knew we'd have to bring judgments on the earth. So they'd learn righteousness. But he decided to make us anyway, knowing that he would give his life for everyone. That whosoever will could become part of the body of Christ. By the way, I have bad news and good news. The bad news is everything that I added on, I never got to. Okay? It's, it's really good news, though. So, uh, I, I was looking at the clock. I'm like, should I speed up? If I speed up, man, it's gonna, some of this stuff's too beautiful. It's just go too fast, you right. Man! But it won't be part four of the Bridal City. Because... No, no, it will still be what I was going to preach. I can still make it part four of the Bible City because it's part of it. But it's also kind of a warning uh, about, you know, continuing in our wedding relationship with Christ. There's some powerful imagery on that, you know. So either way, I'm going to have another message on this next week. But uh, maybe we'll call it part four because Israel, you gave just a, you know, hey, Who knows? We'll see what it becomes. I'll do it next week, though. We'll be really blessed, okay? Because I was like real excited about the ending. But how do you beat the ending we just had? Amen. Are you excited about the Lord's return? Do you have oil in your lamp or have you dozed off? Are you using your lamp? Is it a lamp to your feet, a light to your path, God's word? Yes or no? Make sure that you are not like one of those 10 bridesmaids those ten virgins who fell asleep, okay? Because that door will be shut. And he'll say, I don't know you. Because if you turn from him and give in to other lovers, the lovers of this age, the counterfeit Christ, the false prophets, the the isms, the things of this world, the, the rival thrones, the things that do not satisfy, that are lies, That that ultimately just leave you empty anyway, and you forsake Christ, man. That's that's heartbreaking, you know. Let's make sure we stick to Jesus, Amen. I mean, we used to get done, you know, eighteen minutes from now, so we're getting done trying to get done closer to a new time, you know. I don't think I've ever got it right to the minute in a little while, but I'm getting closer. I'm trying to get closer, so I didn't want to rush all that. Last, are you guys good? We used to do two hours. Are you guys okay with hour and forty five minutes? Still a pretty solid feeding, right? Okay. I love my two hours, though. You love your two hours, though? <laughs> <laughs> praise the Lord, brother. You're honest, you know. Uh, but we get plenty of, of, of teaching in that, in that hour and 45 minutes and get a lot of worship in and praise and, and communion. So let's pass out communion. Could everybody please stand up?